Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Out There podcast. My name is Billy Newman. I'm here today with Robert Biscret. How are you doing, Robert? Good, Billy. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Thanks a lot for doing uh, another episode of this podcast. I think we're doing episode number three today. We are. That's pretty cool, man. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to talk to you about uh, some of the stuff that will probably be in a few more weeks as we get into the nicer weather, but I wanted to talk to you about some of like, your past bear experiences. <laughs> I was wondering what that was like for you because you were doing guide stuff down on the Lower Rogue River. And I know in Grants Pass, really, a lot of time, we didn't have a lot of bear boxes or a lot of bear concerns about the wildlife or the wilderness right around the area of town there. I think, like, if you go south into the Siskiyous or over into the coastal range, there's probably more stuff over there. But uh, it seemed always like a lot lighter than it was further south, like when you got into California. I remember, like, when we went just um, a little bit east of like, Redding uh, in the Mount Shasta area and like up into the Whiskey Lake area, there was like tons of bear boxes. It seemed like that was like a big thing that they had to protect against all the time. And it was sort of strange because there wasn't really that much exposure for me when I was doing a lot of camping stuff in Southern Oregon or in Eastern Oregon, especially I guess Eastern Oregon, to have much exposure with like bear encounters up there. And I think it wasn't until I got into like going to the Lower Rogue before I even saw like the electric fences. So I was going to ask you yeah, about like yeah. uh, what what kind of stuff you had to run into when you were checking out or like when you're doing low rope trips. Well, yeah, I mean we have plenty of bear encounters down there and I think one of the big contributors to that is um just the just the amount of people that are down there all the time. I mean the bears really really know when people are around, you know, there's food, uh, you know, a bunch of new smells. They have an incredible sense of smell. Um so, you know, that traffic down there really kind of brings them into the area. And not to mention, um, and I, I, I could be a little off, but I'm fairly certain that uh, the Lower Rogue Canyon, uh, I know about 10 years ago, was uh, the highest black bear population in the Lower 48. Really? Yeah. Wow, 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it. I mean, the road going out there to Gold Beach and Agnes, that's uh, that's Bear Camp Road. Um, <laughs> I mean, you see bear fences over there all, all over the place. But uh, yeah, I believe Forest Service did a, a study in like a flyover and found that in that canyon, there's more bears per square mile than anywhere else in the lower 48. Wow. I wouldn't have really thought about that. But yeah, I do understand like Bear, bear Creek and Bear Camp Road and seems like a lot of bear yeah. references. I knew that there was a lot of bear activity in Southern Oregon in the past. Like if we go back 100 years or so, I think 150 years, there's a lot of talk about the bear population over in Oregon and over in this section of, of like the forested areas. Like a lot of the gold miners had to deal with them up in the, up in the hills in those areas. I think even like in the, like what was it, isn't, um, isn't Bear Camp Road part gold mine as you go up? Have you seen that? Yeah, a lot of mining claims up there. Yeah, that's what I had seen. I knew like up on Mount Baldy in Grants Pass, there's a lot of a lot of uh, claims in that area. And I'd heard about some bear encounters that happened up there, like up by uh, Summit Loop and then over further into the hills, like past Mount Baldy, kind of over in the Applegate area. It was kind uh -huh. of, it was like way back stuff. Or like, do you remember the story? We heard about this in high school. Um, I think we went to the grave site for this one time, but it was like this piece of local yeah. Grants Pass history lore. We went to this the oldest gravesite in Grants Pass. It's like in this little park now. It's a really strange thing, but you go up and you see this tombstone and it's from 1856, like sometime 
before the Civil War. And there's this tombstone that says that this man, B.H. Baird, died of a grizzly bear attack down by the Rogue River in what would today be Rogue River Park. Or like just the park downtown. Like, isn't that nuts? I've seen that gravesite. Yeah, back in elementary school, we used to uh, walk over there on, well, we, we went over there on a field trip one time and we had to do like a, you know, like a crayon transcripts. You put the piece of uh, transfer paper on the tombstone and do oh, like yeah, a rub. I totally remember. And then, uh, and so we all had to make a rub of that, of that tombstone. And, but I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you're going back that distance in time, I mean, at that time, what, 1856, Oregon isn't even a state yet. Yeah, um, another few years. Yeah. And so you've got California as the bear state. And I mean, grizzlies used to be down here and pretty prominent in the area. Um, I mean, it wasn't until kind of like that, uh, that settling that happened was that, that like we a, started kind of driving them all out. I was wondering about that. Like how, how it was that we, uh, was, is that an extirpation when, when you remove an animal from its range? Cause it seems like we don't, we don't even talk about grizzly bears in Southern Oregon no. or in Oregon at all. Right. They're not even acknowledged. And, so that's the thing is, uh, I believe it was in, well, I know it was in Ashland, but I think around the, it was like in the early 1900s and I, I don't know the year for sure, but, um, the last grizzly was taken out of that area. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was actually roaming around up in the hills and, uh, was having <laughs> some major confrontation with people in the area. Yeah. That's, that seems like it would be a huge issue like as all those people moved in and what, well, I mean, like seven or eight, well, like every town in Oregon, it was a new town in like 1850. So yeah, I'm sure there's, <laughs> like, yeah, you just have to think like how many generations is that, that the animals and the, the wildlife that's used to like go into that area to feed or to, you know, get access to the river or whatever it is, like whatever their, their natural range is, like how long it takes before those conflicts with people push them out or kind of just where those animals get eliminated because of the people in the area. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. It really doesn't take that much time. I mean, between 1858 and, you know, 1900, we had eradicated pretty much all the wild <laughs> grizzlies in the area. I think, I think for, like, nuisance animals like that, you almost have to. I mean, or it seems like at the time you would have you had to in that frontiers mindset. My goodness, man, if I moved out here from the East Coast and I just had to be put, plopped down in the mountains of Southern Oregon, fighting off grizzly bears coming through town, eating a guy in the park downtown. Yeah. I'd have a different you know, mindset about <laughs> conservation. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the thing, too, is back then, you know, everything was just, uh, you know, as far as they were concerned, just an infinite resource. It wasn't like we were running out of anything. Yeah, you know, right. the whole The whole West was fairly untouched, you know. I mean, I'm sure back then. Definitely. Other than the native peoples. Um, but what's funny is I just I just think of like current day Ashlanders, you know the pe the same the same people that had a, a city council meeting about uh, aggressive deer in the area, you know <laughs> dealing dealing with grizzly bears in the 1900s. Oh my gosh! Is that what, did they do that aggressive deer? Yeah, it's yeah, they're having a, a big deer problem, problem with a, with deer kind of taking over the city, and uh, they had a city council meeting about how they were gonna acknowledge these deer because they'd kind of just lost their fear of people and became very tame oh wow and uh yeah so and this was just like a, a year ago yeah no i, I told i mean i mean i i always see or for the last few years definitely i'd see deer just kind of cruising through 
in big numbers uh, in that Ashland uh, Lithia Park there. You just see like tons mm-hmm. of them just hanging out with everybody. But even that seems to be even like it is in Grants Pass. I remember, I swear, back in 2000, 2003, 2004, I didn't see deer at all in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Like over in the, well, it was, it was a recession, so they were were they they were you know. drawn back during that time. Oh yeah, the, the economy, <laughs> yeah, they were, fi- they were, they were financially unstable. <laughs> but no, before that, like in uh, and I talked to my grandpa about this too. He you know he's lived here all of his life, and he would talk about yeah, like we really never saw deer come through the yard until the year two thousand four. Like that's the year they had to put up like a high fence around the garden to keep it safe. And they said yeah, we just never had a problem with it before. We had like one or two come through. But it was never in these big groups that they had like now. And I guess they were saying that like the population in town had just exploded over the last two decades. And see, I wonder what that is. Because that could be, that could be um, you know, deer moving down to populated areas for, uh, for lack of predators. You know, you're never oh, sure. typically going to see a lion in the area. I mean, there's occasional sightings. But I wonder if they kind of come into these uh, rural areas in these kind of urban settings to kind of escape that find gardens that are out and about um but i don't know what you know 2004 you know that that time frame would have how that would have correlated you know yeah it's interesting i get that was the time that there was probably the most new development in that region that there had been in a long time so i bet it, it probably pushed out or disturbed some of the area that 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 pod of animals lived and they probably got pushed over another mountain range to, to where mm-hmm. we are. But the, it seems interesting, you know, if you stay in an area for long enough, you know this about some of the animals that, that kind of traffic uh, your backyard out there. But you notice that they're kind of on a schedule. Like it seems like they, they wander around. They have a range that they, they kind of travel through, but it seems like that animal comes back around through the yard or something in the same way every day, every couple of days. We see that with a, with a family, like a group of, uh, of like doe, I would go through my parents' yard mm-hmm. and they just come through like every morning at 10 a.m. and they just kind of cruise across the street and they go on their way. And I don't know, they may make some kind of loop back through some sometime, but it's kind of funny. It's weird how they yeah. just kind of set. And like it's, that. It, and that's how it is too. It's just like they, they have, they've lost that kind of instinctive fear of, of people in this area. You know, uh, we're not, we're not an immediate threat to them uh, in, in, a, sure. in a city setting. Uh, you know, same with turkeys. You see them in your backyard all the time. Oh, yeah. You know? Or, yeah, or you'll be driving turkeys. down the road. Yeah. I mean, the. Oh, yeah. So tell me about those turkeys. Yeah. So the other day I was driving through uh, downtown Medford, which is, you know, very populated. And uh, I actually had to stop for a crossing of turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, traffic just came to a complete halt. And we all just sat there and let these turkeys cross for about a minute and a half. Wow, and then and then everybody went about their day. How big was the 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 group? Uh, what do you what would you call that? A gaggle? I was wondering. It's like a gaggle of geese, <laughs> a murder of a crows, flock. a flock of seagulls, birds of a uh, feather. I yeah, you know, I don't know, I don't know. All, all these the avian types. They all have their own uh, <laughs> kind of segregated names yeah they really um, need, they need all those different words to describe being in a group i know i said that well, was they funny. do again <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh go yeah, ahead how many are in a group though i mean i've seen uh maybe like 20 or 30 or so in a group i would say this was about 20 i mean it was a good size wow you know yeah yeah 
Yeah, I've seen like little geese. It's kind of funny how like you know when they're really little they stay together. Like, uh, uh, what is it? Um, I guess not like I was thinking the partridge family, but like quail, right? Like quail, like yeah. little groups of quail. Those families like all stick together. You see like pods of those that are around like twelve or fifteen in size. It's kind of funny well, how they move around. Well, you know, it's funny we're talking about the way animals move in and out of areas. Yeah. Um, where where I'm at now. Uh, my grandparents lived out here, and I used to come out this area all the time as a kid. And there used to we used to see tons of, of quail up on the driveway coming into our place. Oh wow! Um, but with the development of people kind of moving into the area, and this place is I wouldn't say blown up, but it, there's definitely an influx of people living out here now. Right. And with that has come some cats, you know, domestic house cats that people have brought and kind of let run wild, and then they birth feral cats. And at this yeah. point now, I haven't seen a quail out here in probably 10 years. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's interesting how that changes. You know, I, I, I've seen like that kind of move around too. I remember when I was a kid, this seems like a silly thing to notice, but you probably believe me that I did notice it. When I was a kid in the 90s and maybe up to like 2001, 2002, there was every evening in the summertime, this, this stream, this murder of crows, this huge group of crows that would move south at like sunset. Like every night, it seemed like they would come out from, uh, from like some section, kind of down by the river, or like mm-hmm. maybe like a mile or two south or something like that. And they'd come up that uh, that kind of draw around like Hamilton Road or something like that. And they'd cruise up and they'd go right yeah. over our house and over my grandparents' house every night. And it seemed like they had been doing that for years. I talked to my grandparents about it. They said, "Yeah, we've been watching them do it for decades now." As we sit out here in the in the evening and water the garden, and then for maybe the last eight, ten, eight, nine years, maybe 10 years, they're not there anymore. Not like they used to be at all. So it's weird how they, I mean, they might've just moved over, you know, a few blocks or for whatever reason, but it's yeah, weird but how they, why? things I mean, like that. Yeah, for having done it it's for like so an air long. quality type <laughs> I, thing? It must or, be like, yeah. uh, it must be new houses or new new places or they, maybe they got disturbed out of, you know, wherever they would, they would go to or whatever place they would, or trees or well something yeah have. i mean the housing development's really blown up in this area and i think that uh i mean there's there's no denying that that's going to have some kind of effect on wild wild animals in the area you know the one that my grandpa pointed out was a fox i don't know what, what you yeah. guys used to see but he said that like when he was a kid and all the way up through through him growing up and, and being out here he had never seen a fox out in that area like out over on clover lawn and he said like he saw one maybe six or seven years ago and he was like wow that's like the first fox like that we've ever seen out here it's weird do you, do you guys see foxes out there you know i've seen you know not out here um and i think that's probably because we have dogs oh, but, sure. yeah so we've got uh we've got dogs in the area which i think kind of keep a lot of uh probably fox out of the area also that makes sense um yeah. but yeah i've seen a couple of fox down near the Applegate. Um, and then another thing is we have coyotes that show up. Oh, I was curious about often. that. Do you see coyotes pass through that area much? Not, not frequently, but there has been. Okay. So when we first got Layla, our little Australian shepherd. Right. Yeah. Um, and she was just a puppy. Uh, she would bark and there was this, there was this little pack of coyotes that was up the hill from us. And they were, it was. A little spooky, but a little cool at the same time. They would have one, and I watched this. They had one coyote 
sit up the hill and respond to her barking. Ooh, I've she heard would, about this. Yeah. She would bark and it would bark back to her, almost kind of enticing her to kind of go up the hill. Hey, come hang out. Be one of us. Yeah. One of us wild yeah, dogs. Yeah, hey, we're just, we're some dogs up here. We're and some wild I, I mean, dogs. she's about the size of a coyote. Yeah. So, you know, she's going to get up there and there's going to be 20 of them. And uh, <laughs> she's going to be in trouble. Yeah. Do they go for dogs? Is that what they do? Or they, or like, because they're not their own? Or, or how's that work? Yeah. So you kind of got to worry about that situation. Um, you know, there's a pack of 20 and they're obviously going to uh, take advantage of a domesticated animal. And a lot of times in urban settings, you'll see kind of, uh, the way coyotes and other different predators will actually prey on these domestic animals because they're so familiar with humans and have kind of, in a sense, lost their natural instinct to find fear from these animals. Oh, interesting, huh? You know, I'd heard yeah. a story about, um, I think maybe kind of similar to the dynamic you were talking about, how there was a pod of coyotes. There was one that came out and it was kind of calling out to or enticing the dog at this guy's house. And it's, I like, I don't know, they had like a dog conversation and this coyote kind of convinced the bad attitude out of this domesticated dog. Like there was chickens in the property. And so this coyote kind of like talked to him for a couple of days. Like they kind of saw him like get a little closer, a little friendlier with each other as like different dogs. And then a couple of days into it, the house dog like attacked a chicken. I think like the coyote got into and they both like got chickens and then like took off and hung out together. And, and like killed the chickens and stuff. you think like oh that's a nuts thing like this this like, coyote this other wild dog came in and then like taught like a new kind of behavior to a domesticated dog and they like you know got away with a bunch of livestock it's crazy though. that's funny it's just like yeah invoking that that natural predatorial sense in, in a house dog yeah it must you be know, and, like, yeah kind hey. of following with the pack or something but yeah it was like yeah kind of like hey come here come be with us we're, we're crazy wild dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you real fast about, hey, th- <laughs> about uh, some of the bear stuff that, that we were talking about. So like even in your backyard there where we're talking about the coyotes, you've seen bears out there, right? Don't you guys have one out there like even right now? Or not right now, but like within uh, the last year, don't you see <laughs> one that kind of roams that area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> What's so, he like? So I'm out. Uh, he's a pain, man. Um, so basically I don't have a trash service out here. So we, right. uh, we keep that. all of our, our trash. Yeah. All of our trash in uh cans. And then, you know, once a month or so I'll take it down to the landfill and then pay your fee and take care of that. But what the problem with that is, <clears throat> is these bears with incredible sense of smell, smell all of your waste and they want to come in cause they're curious animals by major right and they want to get a little little taste of what you've been cooking in the kitchen (laughs) and uh so it's great you know you'll go to work and then you come home and uh you'll just find like three trash cans dumped over and you know three trash cans worth of garbage just spread around your property oh that's uh, great yeah so you get to spend the next couple hours sitting outside just picking up trash that you already um so carefully placed into a garbage bag oh, weeks gosh. before. That'd be so frustrating. So what do you guys have to keep it inside or something? Or is there like a, what do you do? Well, so this past spring I got really fed up with it and I actually built a little like a 10 by 12 shed 
Oh, that's a smart and, idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so now I keep all the cans in there under lock. So I, yeah, and that's, that's honestly, that's cut down the problem significantly. I, I actually haven't dealt with him, knock on wood, for about a year now. But for a while there, it was like every other night, about three o'clock in the morning, you'd wake up to the sound of, you know, trash cans getting knocked over and stuff. And, and is- for the most, most go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, for the most part, you know, they're pretty skittish. You go out there and yell at them and kind of charge at them and they'll take off. Um, But this particular bear that I was dealing with kind of uh, got to the point where it was really standing its ground with me. That's tough. That's that's a rough one. Yeah, I wasn't really a big fan of it. I mean, one one account that I can really sticks out in my mind. um, It's about three o'clock in the morning and we got a heavy snow and this is two years ago and, and you know the area southern yeah. oregon that's that's not real typical of a winter right but uh he must have been hungry and you know oh bears hibernate in the winter well no they just are less active in the winter but he must have been hungry or something and you know i i grab my shotgun and run out in the yard i'm just i'm in my boxers and my boots and uh <laughs> I run out there with just my uh, my iPhone flashlight, and you know about how powerful those are. <laughs> yeah, it's like are. nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I just and I just meet him in the yard, and oh, he's wow. just standing there. You know, he's about twenty feet away, and I'm yelling at him and stuff, and he's just kind of like, "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> yeah. You know, what do you got? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm here every every other day. You would have done something by now if it mattered. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, that's tough. So, no, he stood his ground on me. And uh, if you've been around bears that are getting fairly aggressive, they'll kind of do like a bark. Uh, it's kind of a grunt. I mean, it doesn't sound like a like a dog bark, but it's just kind of like a, a low grunt. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of I threw a snowball at him, I think. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, he kind of he grunted at me and then I yelled at him again. And he grunted <laughs> at me again. A bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You get out of your bear. I'll hit you with a snowball. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, outside of snowballs, what what's what would you use as a bear deterrent? Like, did you have to bring bear deterrent with you down on the lower rogue too? You know, in, when we guide, um, we're discouraged to bring firearms with us. Yeah, I figured that but, would be uh, bad. <laughs> I won't name any names, but some, some of us do. Um, just because these bears have been so introduced to people that they've really lost that instinct of fear and they've really kind of become quite a nuisance down there. I was um, wondering how that so, was, yeah. So some of the guides, definitely not me, uh, will carry a firearm down there. So outside of, um, outside of like lethal deterrent, wh- what do you think of the bear spray, like the pepper spray canisters that you pick up? Uh, you know, I mean, we're not in grizzly country, and black bears by nature are pretty skittish. I mean, they don't, they don't really want anything to do with you. They just want yeah. what you have. That's what I, that's what um, I'd seen before too. I mean, like I'd seen a black bear maybe three times, and as soon as it even noticed we were a hundred feet around there, it just bolted as fast as it could. It was just scrambling up the side of a hill, and you think, oh my god, how can I climb something well, like that so fast? But <laughs> so there's a couple points on that. I want to I want to answer your question, but then I also kind of want to talk about being close with bear too. Oh yeah. Um, so, to answer your question, 
Okay, yeah. So to answer your question, um, when we're down there in the canyon, a lot of times what we'll do is, you know, you want to make yourself large and loud. Um, typically, we'll take our coolers full of food. We'll stack them in a pile. Okay. And then we'll stack pots and pans on top of them. Okay. And then, so that way, if they're getting into them, we can hear them. Um, we take everything out of the boat because we don't want them getting in there, popping a raft or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but then what we'll do is we'll, we all go to sleep with like a, a couple Dutch oven lids next to our cots. Oh, really? So, okay. yeah. And you got your headlamp ready. So when you hear that, that rustling and the pots and pans falling and stuff, you know, all the guides jump up and everybody grabs their lids and starts clanging them together and yelling at them and, and they'll take off. Yeah, so the noise is enough of a deterrent. And yeah, had you said you had like a nuisance bear one night that like had come up and was like snapping? Had yeah. you told me that story? Yeah. What, what happened with that? Or what well, was what happened? <laughs> we had a uh, we had a fill in guide. She guides for uh, another company on the road, and um, she was with us. And this is funny too because we cooked this big salmon dinner. <clears throat> nice and. Uh, you know, we have salmon drippings everywhere and all we got salmon skin, everything all over the camp. And <laughs> and so typically uh, one of us always sleeps in the kitchen to kind of watch over everything. And that was me that night. And it was a lazy night. I think we probably had too many beers. And, uh, you know, it was like, I'm not going to pick this up. I'm just going to play the odds and say we're not going to get a bear in camp tonight. And so I go to bed. <laughs> Just play the go, odds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I I've done it too, to man. Bed. I've done it. Well, yeah, you have to. I mean, it's, you know, if you can. I don't know. <laughs> I never run into a bear. I think we did it like uh, when we were doing a backpacking trip. We had to put our, our food into a bear safe container and then like put it hoisted into a tree more than 50 meters away from our tent, something like that. And I think like we pulled in, we set up super late and we put it out a ways, but man, we did not do whatever we, whatever absolute thing we were supposed to do for our bear food protection. Well, you know what? I mean, most of the time, I mean, you're going to see bear less times than you will. Or excuse oh, yeah. me, you're, you're going to not see bear more than you will see bear. Ah, it seems like it's been how it is in my life. I mean, if we're talking about the most bears in that area, I mean, I, that was kind of like where we grew up in that area, Southern Oregon. I, I've only seen a bear a couple times in that area. I mean, I think I saw it, uh, I think on two of the hikes I did down on the lower rogue. I think I saw another one out in the Applegate or out, you know, past Applegate Lake. Out, that was out in California, out in the Siskiyous. I guess we saw a black bear out there. And then maybe one other time on the road while I was driving. That's it. That's really all I've seen. So I hardly ever see it, you know, have a black bear encounter at all. But you're down there more. So what? So, okay. So we're back. We're camping. There's salmon spread across this campsite it's nighttime robert played the odds <laughs> yeah so we turn over the next thing, card yeah, i know <laughs> next thing i know i'm getting woken up not by a bear but by a dove and she's kicking me and she's going wake up wake up and i got a flashlight in my face and i'm like what are you doing right now and uh She's like, this bear just came over and was sniffing my face. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so she wakes up to a bear just in her face. Ooh, sniffing man. Her. And so she jumps up. She spooks the bear. It runs off a few yards. 
and she's yelling at it, I guess. Uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, so she's yelling at it, throwing stuff at it. And if if you've kind of provoked provoked the bear enough, they'll do this uh, this kind of like jaw grinding. They'll grind their jaw. Wow. Um, this is this is kind of past the little barking stage that they'll do, um, and that's that's really a situation where you kind of need to be on point. Wow. So anyway, somehow she got this bear to kind of lose immediate interest, and she's waking me up. And honestly, the times that I have slept through bear situations in camp are way too many. Ooh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> I wake up the next morning and they're like, oh man, where were you? Oh, Robert faded again. Robert's going to be back in just one second. We're having trouble with this I connection. Didn't even know. Robert, come back in with what you're talking about. I won't reset it. But, um, but so we were saying like, where were you last night when, uh, or like you were just coming into that? How many times you slept through a bear walking through camp? Yeah. Yeah. There's been multiple times that people have, you know, other guides were just like, where were you last night? We had that bear in camp. And uh, <laughs> most most of the time, it's just, you know, stop. All right, we just dropped out for a second. But Robert, I was going to ask you to come back with that story that we were talking about, where the, so the bear was sniffing this girl's head. She woke up. She moved back. She got your attention. You woke up. What happens next? It, well, at that point, she had got it to leave, and she was freaked out. You know, she wanted anybody awake with her. Yeah, absolutely. And, I would uh, too, man. I'd be so, so scared. I wouldn't go back to sleep <laughs> yeah. that night. No, man. And and she and she was so pissed off because I'm laying right next to the trash and all all this salmon skin and everything, <laughs> and I never got bothered. And she's she's sleeping on the outskirts of camp. Didn't sniff you know? Robert's face. <laughs> so. Yeah, anyway, it left me alone. But, well, but you're saying it started snapping? Did you see it snap? No, I or, didn't see it snap. Oh, it was but, snapping at her. Yeah, and, and not, not necessarily snapping, but doing like a jaw click. Oh, a jaw it's grinding? Like, click its jaw and almost like grind its teeth. Oh, um, weird. I would and, not and I've heard, see that. No, I, especially in the dark when you can't see it. Yeah, I'd feel so threatened. <laughs> like, oh, hey, bear. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, anyway, it was it's just one of those things, you know, you got to get people awake, make noise, do stuff. But, uh, you know, the problem is with, with people being with, with bear and high populated areas like that, um, you know, they're, they're losing that instinctive fear and that can, that can, uh, nuisance kind of bears. Dire situation. Yeah. And I hear like, you see the signs up that say like nuisance bears will be destroyed. Like, well, yeah. Oh man, that is a final sentence. There, that's like. <laughs> or, well, that's was, the bureau of that's the bureau of land management. Uh, you know, that's what their signs all, all, are all down there. Right. Is, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a fed bear is a dead bear. You know, if you start feeding these bears and leaving food around, they're going to start showing up more and more. And then, as a nuisance bear, they have to try to relocate. And if that's not going to work, then they have to exterminate that bear. Man, that sounds so tough. I, I just uh, like we were talking about Steve Rinella's podcast earlier. I just listened to an episode from a bear scientist that works at Yellowstone National Park studying the bear population there. And okay. They were talking about this big upset that happened years ago when the I think the the establishments that were in Yellowstone, like the restaurants and the and the lodges and the towns just outside mm -hmm. of Yellowstone that were part of that ecosystem, 
they would all have these food dumps where they would like they would just throw they would have like a pit that would put all the food that people didn't eat in the park or whatever went bad and it would be this feeding frenzy or this feeding area for all of the bears that were in that ecosystem they all kind of worked off of this and it was just kind of like an attraction for a while where bears would come in and eat the food and so they made a decision that they were going to stop the 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 food drops as it were like in and then they had to like change it wasn't really intentional at first it was just like a dumpster it was like the you know the area that that the trash was going to go i think it was kind of like the trash area of yellowstone which is kind of weird to think that there's such a thing but i guess with all the people that go through it would be something like this and this is way back too but they so they stopped these feeding sites and then a big part of that population of bears like died off or, or had other types of conflicts that happened when they was trying to seek out different places to get food that had now become more scarce but really interesting how those conflicts come well out. see that and that's what happens is you've got you've got bear coming into this to this you know infinite food source that they keep coming back to because we leave all this waste and what happens is you know not that generation but a generation or two down the road these bears are used to feeding off of our waste and then sure. don't really know how to fend for themselves in the wild and it's all fun while it's a tourist attraction and people get to snap pictures but then you've got these bears that are dying in the wild and also you're getting your car wind all right we're back now we faded out for one second uh with with robert's uh call his skype call in for us but we were talking about that last little bit of how how uh there's there were the bears in the yellowstone range that had difficulties a couple generations after they had become dependent on these food sources these food drops and it's really weird those types of conflicts that happen when people enter an area that's just been wilderness and wildlife before it's interesting how you know that goes for us but there's always been types of conflicts yeah and as long as there's people there will still continue to be that that conflict between natural wildlife and uh and us yeah it'll be interesting you know i think in future podcasts we should talk about we should talk about some of the wildlife management stuff that we've learned about some of the ways that BLM works or, or Fish and Game or some of these other, depart- other departments and how they, they manage some of that stuff. That's a lot of, that's a big learning curve for me. <laughs> I'm a pretty simple hiker and yeah. photographer a lot of times. But, <laughs> but I think part of the, part of this podcast, I think is really interesting to learn a little bit more about some of those uh, maybe more serious aspects or, or just more, uh, the, more of the governance side of how wildlife and outdoor recreation management goes. It's kind of interesting stuff. I think it's, it's cool to talk about. And it's been fun talking about with you too. I think it's cool. Yeah, and I think that'd be something great to elaborate on. I think that's something that uh, that more and more people need to understand and acknowledge um, the way our national parks and public lands are run. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to talk about some of that stuff and it'll give me a chance to learn about it a little bit more. But thanks, Robert. Thanks for doing this podcast, yeah. talking about some bear stuff in the past. And we have way more stories to go through. Maybe we need to make more stories too, but I think there's a couple we can talk about in the future that'd be kind of fun. But thanks, man. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think there's some of those some of those lower rogue encounters that are kind of cool, or even like some of the stuff on an old backpacking trip that we were on. I think we had like a couple bear bear sightings at that one too. So we'll get. Well, into yeah, all that. we've we've had our share of uh, backpacking adventures, not just in the lower rogue, but other places too. And I'd like to talk to with you more about that future as well. Oh yeah, I want to do that too. I think that'd be really cool. But thanks, Robert. I really yeah. appreciate you doing this podcast with me. We're we're uh, we're coming together. We're we're finally uh, putting together, I guess, uh, what might be you know like a pretty consistent outdoors podcast. It's pretty sweet, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm hoping it works out. 
it's cool, man. No, it's uh, it's just the beginning, but but we got to keep doing it, man. I appreciate you doing it with me every week here. We got to get the site going, the, uh, the 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 stream app. It's really cool, and anybody that's bothered to listen to to these episodes, it's it's great. I really appreciate you know, anyone taking the time to do it. Yeah, and and you know, as I think I think as time develops and we continue doing this more and more frequently, um, you know, we're gonna have more more pressing topics and things that uh, you know are very entertaining. <laughs> We're going to be the most entertaining. Really, Robert? And I mean, you probably learned this a little bit about going through the podcast thing. There's not that much entertainment in some podcasts out there. I mean, like to, to kind of break through, it seems like at least with talent wise or to be entertaining, we would be, I think, in the, in the running for it. So I think, I think it's, it's cool that we're doing a podcast about this stuff together. So, Robert, I wanted to say thank you very much for doing this podcast with me. And on behalf of Robert Biscaret, my name is Billy Newman. And I want to say thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of the Get Out There podcast. Thank you.